Welcome to the MA Hunting Podcast. On this episode, sit down with my dad as we do a breakdown of how the 2022 rut season went. All right, welcome back to the MA Hunting Podcast. Thank you for listening. So yeah, it is, it's December. I mean, November has come and gone. Uh, it's amazing how quickly uh, November went through. Uh, you know, it seems like it, it was only a few days and the month was gone. So yeah, so this is basically, this episode is going to be a wrap up of kind of how things went through the month of November. Uh, basically primarily focusing on hunting the rut. You know, ultimately was going into the season uh, kind of with a game plan of focusing on our primary uh, private piece you know, during that first or actually the the second full week of November the week before uh, rifle season started you know we basically had Intel uh, through camera and historical data and encounters that the bulk of the the biggest bucks that we usually get on the on the property show up during that time frame so spent a good amount of the pre-rut and the very earliest rut focusing a lot on uh, public land spots. So, you know, a couple of spots I did have had some pretty good bucks in the area. I just couldn't nail down uh, basically their, their movement. You know, basically it came down to a lot of times where I was in the right area, but usually at the wrong times. You know, quite often, you know, I'd sit, you know, none of the, the bucks I was looking for would come through, pull the you know, cards out of the cameras on my way out and sure enough, they were there either the day or the day before or a couple days before uh, the time that I was there. So never really nailed down exactly, you know, that movement, but I wasn't too discouraged knowing that I was going to bring some focus to the farm uh, during the primary part of the rut that we were really focusing on. So it came to that second week in November, basically anytime between the 6th through the 14th is really, really focused on trying to gather these bucks uh, during archery season before the firearm season began. So the one other piece of intel that we usually got is that, you know, not too surprising, I, you know, on Halloween night, a lot of the bucks would make a visit, you know, at night onto the property, hitting a lot of the, the scrapes on the area that had cameras on them. And then also hitting the main food stores and the food plot uh, where they have a big scrape tree right in the middle of it as well. So sure enough, a good majority of those bucks showed up during that time frame, which indicated that there was a good likelihood that most of them are going to come back somewhere around the 7th of November. And based on the camera intel, that actually happened. Two of the bucks didn't come back the exact week afterward. Now I did basically do a bonehead move where I ended up washing my truck keys and lo and behold as I was getting ready to head out to go hunting my truck keys didn't work because they were essentially waterlogged and the little computer chip and whatnot in it uh, wasn't working properly so I ended up going out on the 7th and it, it basically I was distracted the entire time because I was so worried about getting my truck up and running again because I was knew I was going to be taking it on my South Dakota trip so I ended up getting down early out of the stand because I was basically so worried that I couldn't, wouldn't be able to get a, a working key for it in time and would have to, you know, scramble to try to find a new solution. So, 
I ended up getting down, and sure enough, I missed the opportunity of the big buck that I've been trying to go after uh, for several years now. So, you know, it's one of those one of those things that I put a higher priority of trying to get that truck fixed than than uh, killing that buck, and it it bit me in the ass essentially. So, um, we talk about that a little bit in the episode, and basically, uh, you know, kind of do a breakdown of all the events that happened, what we learned kind of what our plan is going forward as well so basically again focusing on you know the the property how the bucks move the doe movement and ultimately determining that we do need to do some additional habitat work uh to just make the property a little bit better and you know boost our odds of getting those bucks to stay on the property or at least closer to the property uh hedging our bets of trying to get them to be more daylight uh while we're hunting them so Enough of my ramblings, let's get into the episode. Again, we do a breakdown of basically how things went for the rut and what our plan is going forward. So again, enjoy. All right, so yeah, so let's let's start with our plan for the year was gonna be that we were gonna hunt or focus on the farm during essentially that first full week of November. So that seventh through essentially up till rifle season on the 15th. Because we had what we've had data that the biggest bucks that we always see show up in that time frame, at least camera wise, anyways. I wouldn't say we've really seen that many of them during that time frame, but even the younger bucks we've had more encounters with during that time frame. Because the one last year that you had, we saw him, what was it, the was it the 13th of November we saw him? Yes. Uh, yeah, I believe so. A couple of days before rifle season. Yeah. And then and then two days or a few days later, he came out again during rifle season, which that's a pretty good story because you had that VS1 that you set out, right? Right, right. And he came in, and we talked about it, but yeah, he came all the way across the field. Yeah, what, 280 yards? Yeah, yeah. Right. On, a, on a string. Yeah, he didn't stop and eat and mosey around. He just put his head up and here he came. Yep. Yeah. So, so we kind of already kind of had some history with knowing that that's when the bucks are cruising and we're the most active for sure. So, um, so that was the goal for this year. So I took my vacation time for that uh, that time frame from the basically from the seventh on, and then. Uh, yeah, we started hunting, hunting pretty hard because I, I don't know. Did you hunt the farm at all any time before that? Before November? No. 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 And I hunted it. I think a couple times because I got the one doe off off the poop plot. And then I think I yeah I, I really didn't target it until I think about Halloween weekend. I did another hunt there or a couple hunts there, but that was about it. So we basically were hands off the farm until November. Right. And, 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 uh, as we look back, as I look back, the big bucks show up on the farm. It goes back 35 years because Jack lived, shot that big, uh, 11 weight, 180 pound dress. And that was like two or three days before rifle season. So, as I started looking back, we what we figured, what we figured out that the 
whatever reason, whether we're correct or incorrect in our analogy, that the bigger bucks show up on the farm just before rifle season. Yep. And approved again uh, this year. It did, yep. Yeah, so, yeah, November 7th came along because we've had, well, camera-wise again, three years in a row, the biggest buck shows up on November 7th, hangs out on the property. We, and we missed out on him a few years in a row because we didn't show up on that day. So I was there this year on the 7th, but I was a dummy and had washed my truck keys in my hunting clothes the night before. So I was worried about that. So I didn't do an all-day sit like I had planned. And wouldn't you know it, he came through in front of one of my cameras, in front of the, one of the stands at noon on the 7th. Right. And it's, I don't know... It just some I I think and I could be wrong, but I think the our genetics of the family groups we probably have two family groups at least yeah that uh, come in estrus in the latter part you know like just before rifle season yep yeah and I talked I reached out to um, a biologist about it uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name now of course but he's you know, published more research on deer. And when I talked to him about it, he said, you know, basically we could be right, but it's, it's hard to prove it type of deal. Um, you know, those does, yeah, a certain doe would go into estrus typically the same time, roughly year after year. Now, of course, there's environmental factors that'll play into it that can shift it a bit, but theoretically, you know, they're, they're relatively consistent. So Yep. And then about the buck, if he's keen, he, you know, he said that if the buck is keen in on those does, um, you know, that could be, you know, possible theory. And then also he's like, these bucks sometimes will just have their routine essentially. And, you know, that's what they'll do, you know, as part of like their circuit or whatever that they'll do. So he says it's hard to, hard to prove what it is, but he's like, it's an interesting theory. And I actually need to reach out to him still and be like, yeah, that buck showed up again the same day. So because he was quite interested to see if it repeated itself yet again. We yeah. had that, that big seven point. Yeah. And the big ten point. Yep. The three-year-old, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the ten point was at least a four-year-old. By yep. The size of his neck, the body size, big belly on him. Mm-hmm. Size of his rack. Yeah. He might have even been a five. Could be. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. Cause we didn't get we didn't get the best of pictures of that. 10 pointer either so he could right. be bigger or older i mean yeah and i seen the seven point just a few days before rifle season yeah yeah because i don't know what i think at that point i was i had a couple of days of work it was like the ninth or tenth you saw him it was the tenth or no it was on a thursday whatever it was thursday. it was the tenth tenth yep. of november yeah because i remember because that's like my last day of work for the week and yeah, you called me seeing that, saying that you saw him, which is <laughs> kind of like, this your, the biggest six point I've ever seen. I'm like, well, the six point, how big could he have been? It was big. I, thought, was, I, could, I couldn't see those, his brow tie, one was broken off and one was just a short brow tie and I couldn't see it. So I thought it was a big six point, yeah. the biggest six point I ever seen in my life. Yeah, even if you measured it, it might not even be a countable point, that brow tie, because it's, it's pretty tiny. It's pretty tiny. But yeah, I mean, as wide as wide as his ears, and what? Well, how long do you think those tines are? Eight, ten inches at least. Oh yeah. 
at least. Yeah, at least, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, just towering tines, yeah. Yeah, and a big body deer, so I, I guess he's at least three years old. Yeah, he didn't, yeah, because he definitely had a fuller neck. He didn't quite have a big old belly on him yet, but he wasn't super leggy, so he's down two-year-old. No. But, yeah. But, yeah, and that was early. I mean, he could have cut some weight if he's been running around for the rut, but I think he's three-year-old, so we'll find out. Hopefully he survived and makes an appearance again next year. Yeah, because I, I think him and that 10-point just disappeared. Boom. I don't know. You might check your camera. You might get some more pictures of him after that, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, historically, even the cameras show that because of the pressure from rifle season... A lot of those bigger guys aren't going to make that mistake of coming out in daylight. We'll probably have them on camera in the middle of the night eating out of the food plot. I think we would, yeah, either they'd have to start feeling really comfortable or have moved into the, moved closer to the farm, or it's going to have to be a extremely cold night or right. cold day where it forces them to have to get up, have to eat. Right. But and he didn't cooperate with me. I thought he was going to. Cause he's only 20 yards away. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. So you had uh, a couple of doe fawns in front of you. Yeah, they were out uh, 100, 125 yards over on the uh, southeast corner. And the wind was coming from the south. It was like 70 degrees. I didn't even have my jacket on. It was 70 <laughs> degrees. And um, uh, one of the does, I had about, uh, say, half an hour of shooting light left. And I noticed that one of the does was staring over to the west. I mean, she got rigid, and she just kept staring. I was like, well, she smells something, or she sees something. So I watched her for a while, and I, you know, she just kept staring over there. And I looked over there, and nothing. But she kept staring over there. So the second time I looked over there, his head was sticking out from a pine tree. And uh, I go, oh, Okay, you just step out because you're only 20 yards away and you were, you're going to get an arrow through your chest. So I figured he'd step out, check the wind, be cautious. That's not what he did. He came out on a trot. I grunted. He wouldn't stop. He ran over those does, checked them out. By now, he's 100, 125 yards away. So he finds out they're not in estrus. So he eats, stops, eats some clover, walks around, stands on his hind feet, eats some crab apples off the crab apple tree, eats some more clover. So he's out there for 25 minutes. And then he just moseys over to the neighbor's property. That's, that was it. Yeah, and he, has, and he hasn't uh, made a mistake since. No, and they normally they usually don't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the always thing. I mean, you might get one, one, maybe two opportunities as a really good buck around here, and right. that's it. You know. And I was out uh, the other morning when it was cold. It was cold and snowy and windy, thinking they have to come out and eat. And I noticed they'd already been out all night in the fields, top field, bottom field, in the front yard, eating apple tree, apple apples off the trees, and. Nothing. I didn't see nothing. I was there for like three hours. That nothing showed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I don't know. I mean, the weather thing is always funny because like sometimes 
really bad weather gets them on their feet, makes them have to go out and eat. Other times they'll hunker down, wait until that next time it's nice weather out, then they'll go out and eat. So it's, but again, I think our issue is too, is that we don't have any other good food sources around us. So they pile into the food plot and stay there all night. Yeah. Eat until they're full. And then they go back into the cover where they're. So you haven't been down there since you got back from South Dakota. I haven't well, yet. No. Looks like bulldozer. Oh yeah. The field. I imagine. Yeah. It looks like war zone, bunch of bombs going off and yeah. they're digging everything out. Oh yeah. yeah. So they, they spend all night in there. And the other night I seen two small bucks, spike horn, a little one that was going to fork out, but the little, the spike horn was actually a bigger body. And the other, the other guy, he's pretty little. I hope he, hope he don't get a lot of snow because he's a pretty little guy, but yeah. Yeah. He stays right there in the creek bottom and stuff. They come, they came out of the north. Okay. Yeah, right right to the right of the blind. Out of that little corner of the food plot there. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we've got, well, it's Thanksgiving morning right now. So we've got, what, week and a half yet of, well, about a week left of rifle season. Right. I'll go out tonight and... um then we'll, we'll hunt, you know, because of my work schedule, I don't have too many more days to hunt, but you got to be out there as much as you can because, like you said, the day you're not out there, that's when, yep. that's when they'll go strolling across. Yeah. So, yep. Now, you asked me a question earlier about how do you, how do you, what do I think about getting those bucks to stay on the farm? And I've thought about, um, you know, you see these big bucks in urban areas, and they smell everything, gas, cars, people, different people. And hunters, first thing they do is try to cover their scent with everything, wash your clothes, do all this. So deer can be conditioned to smells. No. If, like, and it's, and it's harder on public land than it is on private land, but private land, and I've, I've heard people talk, to condition those deer to your smell year-round. Because what about deer farms? Look at all these big bucks on deer farms. They're not crashing into the fence trying to get away. Yeah. Um, I've seen videos of little old ladies... Joe walks up to the window, looks in the window, because she's hungry. <laughs> and the yeah. little old lady gets this little dog food dish full of food, walks out, stands there. <laughs> the deer eats out of the dish. So, and I was listening to a podcast with um, Lee and Tiffany from the Crush TV. Okay. And he says, yeah, he's got bucks that are six, seven years old that have smelled him for six and seven. He doesn't cover his scent. He goes, they know the sound of his truck. He goes down, checks his cameras. He works the food plots. And those deer know his scent. And he doesn't shoot at them till, you know, till their trophy box. So yeah. they, this is, I smell Lee. He brings food. And he plants food. He does this and that. So deer can be conditioned to your smell. And that's why, you know, I'm down at the farm, you're down at the farm, they smell us all year round, you know? Yeah. That's why I don't shoot does, because 
the only two things that deer can communicate with is smell and body language. So if those does are out there, if I shoot at does, get them all nervous, they're out there all fidgety, the buck's going to, if there's a buck standing there in the cover like that buck was the other night, feces, uh, deer that are on edge he knows from body language that maybe I better not go out there they're all nervous that's what a buck does he sends the does out <laughs> and if they're calm he feels it's okay I don't shoot another reason because if you shoot the doe the buck's going to walk the other way and if you shoot the mature doe because a buck will make a scrape and he'll put his DNA in there. And then the doe will check these scrapes. And if she selects the buck she wants, she'll leave her set in there. And then the buck will come and find her. It's like the human race. <laughs> we chase the girls, but it's always the girls who say yes or no. <laughs> same, it's true. The same way with Mother Nature. If it wasn't, when she came in asterisk, her her spike horn son would breed her. But that's not what she wants. It's how Mother Nature, you know, the strongest survive. So the buck leaves his DNA. I'm the this is my how you know, from the urine they can smell. This is a healthy buck. This is a dominant buck. I want to breed. The dominant does will breed with the dominant buck. That's what keeps the herd strong and healthy. That's that's why she doesn't breed with her son as soon as she comes in asterisk. Because that would that would, you know, same way with cattle and everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they don't want you don't want the inbreeder. They don't want to be inbred either. Yeah. Right. So if you let the deer get used to your smell, don't shoot at the does. So they come out, they're not nervous because you don't shoot at them. Because it's, it's just like in the urban. All these deer smell all these people. And they live in, you know, Traverse City, Minnesota, you know, St. Paul. You see all these big bucks running around. They're not all hiding in the woods. They walk down the street, yeah. walk in the yard. They live in the yard. Yeah. They smell dogs, people, cooking, all this stuff. So you can... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? You can get these deer used to your smell. Yeah. Without being on alert all the time. Yeah. Yeah, because I know, I mean, there's a, there's a big time urban hunter that I've listened to his stuff, and he does out in uh, Washington, D.C., and he's like, yeah, there's, he's like, you get into an area where, you know, the deer are so used to people, he's like, as long as you stay within that bubble where they're used to the smell, he's like, if you venture too far into where they're, they're secure areas, they won't tolerate it. The, I guess my question would be is how much conditioning does a deer need before they get to that point where they're comfortable with it? So like, especially too, like around like deer season, like how many times do you have to go walk to your stand and stay there for a couple hours for them to get used to just you being there? Because if you venture into like some of my tree stands, if I venture into that tree stand where I 
normally don't spend much time, they're going to get my smell where they're not used to getting it. Are they going to spook because of it? That's my point. You got to go where you normally go during hunting season. I, like you said, you can't you can't walk into their bedding area every other day because then that's too much. But in you got to find out the areas they travel outside of their bubble, their secure bedding area, so they smell you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Because they can be conditioned. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, they get used to seeing the tractors, and if you're on a horse or something, you hear stories all the time where deer don't bugger out because of, you know, such and such situation. Right. So if you are if you target a, a big buck, if you figure out where he's bedding area, if you can walk as close as you can all the time to that bedding area. Yeah. Yeah. Then the trick is then, too, then it has to be a buck that's used to being in the area that's used to right. your smell. Right. If he comes from someplace else. Yeah. He's he's not going to. But that's why you, you have to do the best you can to make a secure spot for that buck so he doesn't have to travel a mile and a half, two miles. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing I've learned, too, especially, like, you know, listen to a lot of people that do a lot of land management for deer and stuff like that is, you know, it's great if you have a great food source, but if the buck still has to go, you know, a mile, two miles to get to it, he's never going to make it to you by daylight because... Right. You know, a lot of times they'll say, you know, a mature buck won't more go more than, you know, a couple hundred yards from his bedding area during the daytime. So you got to get hit, you got to get him within that range where he gets up on his feet and is wandering around a bit, especially if you want to get him outside of like the rut. And of course the rut, you know, all, all things go out the window basically because right. they're going to. That's why I want to concentrate on the west side of the bottom field trying to make that a secure bedding area yep everything else is too open it's a quick bottom but that's still it's on bottom still open yeah and it's open. only it's only about 100 yards wide right and like yeah you we like i've cut in a couple of pockets already that will thicken up yet but yeah i think over to the west where there's that corner the far you know northwest corner of the property i think that's our best bet of getting them to and then, of course, they can go north of the property there when no one's ever there, and they can feel secure in there, too. So Yeah, so I think that's the best bet to create a, a secure bedding area. Yep. So I know I've heard people like downstate have, like, 10 acres, and they got this little swamp that's, you know, 50 yards wide by 25 yards wide, and that's where that's the, sec- the securest area around so that's where the big bucks mm-hmm. he's got he's got you know 10 acres yep yeah that's why i was kind of hoping uh this year to get a little bit into the the property over in honor crossing the johnson's because uh-huh. that's that's a 10 acre strip i mean that's that that property's 100 maybe 150 yards wide but because we we cut out a bunch of that was it the jack pine yeah yeah. Bruce and different things. Yeah. So, I mean, if I would have thought about it a little bit ahead of time, I could have planted like a small little food plot in there and have the back part of the property be the secure part. Right. So potentially they bed back there, come up to the front, closer to the road to eat. So you hunt up front, the whole rest of the property you leave alone. No one even enter it really. Yeah. And, and then, then you get the, all that property to the um, 
to the east. Yep. That's. Yep. Yeah, beyond all the rest of those pines and scrub pines and everything yep. like that, they can hunker down and yep. So you hunt, hunt up close. You're not trampling through the woods. They're trampling through their secure area where they feel safe. You can slip in there. None the wiser. Yeah. If, if you get a good wind. Right. As long as you're not blowing wind directly at them. Yep. But, again, that'll be maybe for another another year. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's we never I never made it out to the bluffs to scout that for doing the river or the lake trip again. But there's still time. I, I like to do that a lot of bit and during December when there's the snow and you can see all the trails and tracks and right. so scout that out during that time frame and and then once we hit after season start cutting out some bedding area at the farm and yeah try again next year that's all you can do <laughs> that's all you can do yeah keep after them learn every year try to learn a little bit something and yep so yeah i mean we definitely know that i mean the big the big open field up top they love the cross and that little that little valley that little low point in the field yep and then they'll cross over and head over to the adjacent property they'll cut through the through the big maples that's again i can't believe that buck nonchalantly walked through the field and as soon as he hit the wood started to trot <laughs> whatever yeah but uh uh, yeah, and then uh, they live. They live a charm life. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's their spider sense tingling and yeah, right. What, what? That sixth sense, yeah. yeah. But yeah, and then um, went out for. Well, I guess we jumped ahead a little bit. Went out for opening day because we just couldn't seal the deal on with the bows. I missed. I missed uh, the one buck. I shot over him. Your buck, he wouldn't stop, hold still. You're right. Until he made it. Hundred. 25 yards away yeah that he was gonna that's when yeah but and then uh opening day comes around and i mean it just kind of almost dumb luck i get a buck first thing in the morning he came in from the he came in from the uh the neighbor's property so he basically came from another open field right at daylight i mean i'm assuming that's where he came from because i can't see perfectly that side but trails you know would indicate they came from their property and came in all by himself and started feeding right at right at first light and yeah they sometimes you think you're the smartest animal <laughs> in the world and other things like man what a dummy yeah but yeah and then that was interesting because yeah put a shot on him dropped him in his tracks laid right down and all right job done sitting there i don't know was it four or five minutes yeah no. all of a sudden i'm looking and he sitting there with his head up like, what what is going on here put the scope on him like i'll be darn he's, he is that he's got his head up what's going on here sitting there and all of a sudden he starts trying to he starts like rocking himself trying to get himself up like uh-uh shoot him again and he flops back over again does a few kicks like all right now he's done like, i don't know what happened there but he, okay sitting there in about another minute picks his head up a third time like all right what all right, here we go. Like, what's, how's this deer still alive? Put a third shot on him. And then that finally did him in. But, and then you, <laughs> you, you got to tell what you were thinking when you hear the shots. Yeah, I heard the first shot. Like, all right, that's good. Ty's got his buck. That's good. He's, 
gonna head out to South Dakota tomorrow, so we got the deal down and a few minutes later I heard another bang, like, wow, Ty filled his other license. That's that's good, man. The kid lucky. <laughs> then when I heard the third shot, I knew something was up, so I got on the phone and called you. But I have figured out the only thing they could because this is a seven millimeter seven mag and you don't have to shoot deer three times with a seven mag gun. Because I've shot them, I've leveled them at 300 yards on the top field. And the other thing I could figure, and I've talked to other people, uh, a friend of mine who was a, a sniper in Desert Storm, he said, yeah, the only thing it could have been was you had a bad, some bad rounds. You know, because it wasn't hitting at the same spot. It was, you know, and they're made on assembly line, uh, the assembly line, so yeah, something happened. Yeah, because if... The first shot did hit high. I, I'm assuming it's the first shot. Um, and shot, you know, basically it went under his spine. And a buddy, Calvin, who he he actually sent me a video of a, a guy he actually videotaped. Um, he shot a buck and it, I guess it's called spine shock. So it got close enough to the spine, it paralyzed him. So uh, and the, in his video, the deer lays down, does a few kicks, and then just within seconds, gets back on his feet and takes off so the fact that the buck that i shot I, again i assume that that's what happened with me on the first shot anyways is that he didn't he wasn't able to jump right up probably because of the seven mag probably still did at least enough damage where he was still kind of stunned so either it was a lack of powder on the when they were made or they didn't crimp the bullet down yeah yeah, I don't know. Cartridge hard enough, but I get it's like people said, "What seven mag? No way, never happened." Like, yeah, I have. Like, yeah, that's the only uh, and logical explanation. In my time, I was done. He had a hole in his shoulder that big. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, then ended up <laughs> worried about it. Went to the gun range again and with a different box of shells. Um, I think I had a couple rounds left, which could explain why at the hundred yard mark I w- I couldn't find paper. Oh, yeah. And then you got another, open another box and got her. Yeah, because then I moved into the 50 yard and got on paper, and then it took a couple adjustments, and I was, you know, one inch group at 50 yards. Yeah. So that's the only logical explanation that you just had a bet. And it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that could explain to you why, even when we were sighting in, you know, they were kind of it was kind of a bigger group at 100 yards because yeah. they were kind of moving around. So you could be right on that one. That's the only logical explanation. Well, yeah, but yeah, because I got it all zeroed in, and yeah, he ended up being a nice, nice two-year-old buck, and yeah. So we've got, like I said, another week and a half of or week of rifle season left, and then. Do you think you'll be going out there with the crossbow again, or do you want to use the the muzzleloader at all? No, I'll probably. Yeah, you know, I just I'll probably be done after. Yeah. This just trying to get out there and working two jobs and trying to find time, and it's it's just going to get darker earlier and earlier. <laughs> earlier right. Day, so I I'm just pushing it. Like the other night when I went out there, I had 45 minutes of light. Oh. You know, and that was with snow on the ground. Yeah. Were there any deer when you showed up, or did they show no. up after? They showed up about 20 minutes before dark. Yeah. And usually, 
I was out there. Uh, I think it was the opening day was Tuesday. I was out there Thursday night, and there was a, I believe it was two two small bucks were there, and probably six or seven other does had come out. Yeah. I figured when I seen the when I seen the little bucks come out the other night, there'd be more deer, but those were the only two, and they fed around for 20 minutes or half hour or something, and they just moseyed off. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how, like, some nights they pile in there, and other nights they're just... Right. Yeah. But, and there's tra- it looks like a... It looks like a runway coming down the two-track, uh, you know, from the from the farm, yep. down across the big, the top field, and then it's just everywhere there's... Looks like there's a million deer, but one deer can leave a lot of tracks, but there was... Yeah. It was... Oh, yeah, because, I mean, even, even before uh, even before opening day when I pulled the card... Yeah, I mean, they were in there all night long, every night. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah, I think, I think getting the deer, doing more bedding, because we've got the food, which we already know that they love, they're piling in on the food. I do think we need to get another food plot up on the top field again to disperse it a little yeah, bit. Unless, unless they get unless they get corn in there next year. But, yeah, I'm not going to. Not going to rely on that. No. If, if they put corn in, great. If not. At least we'll be prepared. Right. Uh, so we have the water, we just and we have the food. Yeah. More food, but yeah, because because I, I again we talked about that. It was they ate it down to the almost the dirt by you know mid 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 October. They had it eaten down. Fortunately, we've got some rye in there, and some of the plants are hanging in there, but it's overbrowsed terribly. Oh yeah, there's a lot of deer in there, and so I think the. We have to, if we're going to improve the farm for large buck habitat, I think it's to the west there, we have to create a little bit more thicker cover. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And again, I got my, I cut my teeth a little bit on that last year, cutting in, cutting down some of those big mature popples, opening up sunlight to the area, yeah. get some more undergrowth in. But you can see, I mean, even even the spring, you can see that they're browsing on a lot of the new shoots that are coming up, and so we'll drop, I'll drop some more trees and get some of that old dead stuff out of there and lay it down on the ground, give them some ground cover, and yeah, you know, that'll be the goal. And then yeah, we'll just keep the cedars around the creek the way they are, and so that's good thermal cover for them, and right. th- it's food and everything like that. So we'll just cut around all the like popple because you can't do anything with it. No one wants to buy it right now anyway, so there's no one doing for pulp wood or anything, so just drop and let the new shoots come up. It'll thicken up in there. That'd be a browse for the deer, then the new popple shoots they like that. Yep. Yep, and then get some of the honeysuckle out there still because, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's thick, but the problem is it takes over everything, and then there's nothing else. There's no other good plant plants around. Right. And then it's just... I mean, the grouse like them, but even that, the grouse don't even get that much from the berries or nothing. Yeah. They're not that nutritious for them, so. So that's why we're doing some of the other work of getting some more native brows in there and plants and berry producing and apple trees and. Yeah, I'm going to put some chestnut in there next year and a new variety of a cross between hickory and pecan. I've noticed in that, that. Oh, yeah. They've developed a strain that will survive in the northern climb, you know, 
up here a little bit farther because I know even in southern Michigan when I used to hunt pheasants down there, I would, you know, we'd be seeing the shag bark hickory down there. So they've developed a genetic species of, of a cross of hickory and pecan that will survive in the northern area. Okay. So, some of that. So let's just. Yep. Yep. It's more, uh, Ashley would uh, say diversity, right? Right. Diversity. Yep. <laughs> Our little biologist, plant biologist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, though I know they, I've talked to guys who grow chestnuts and they got to fence them off because the deer just eat the heck out of them. I haven't checked the protein value mm-hmm. of the chestnut, but it's probably pretty high. It's probably high. That and they, it's got the fat content, so it's got the calories. Yeah, them. I know it's got, it's, it's the fat content in the chestnuts is pretty high so yeah but anyway um like that one that one big buck i don't know if it was the seven point or the ten point mike seen laying in the field just south of the hardwoods okay yeah and i think he was and i uh listened to podcasts where a lot of you know like barry wenzel and Hal Blood, you know, talk about how a buck will not always go into the wind. He will go with the wind so he can see what's in front of him and smell what's coming up behind him. Yeah. Especially in places like there's predators and like cougars and wolves and stuff. Before, we never had any coyotes. And very few bear. I mean, if somebody seen a black bear in our area 30 years ago, it was front page news. Okay. Now they're all over. Right. They have coyotes all over. And there's probably wolves down below the bridge. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some, but at least right now they don't have any sustainable... You know, breeding population. So that if there's if they're down here, they're not growing to where they're noticeable. Yeah. But and yeah, we got the we got the cougars too. Got the cougars. So in the past thirty years, the deer have had to develop senses and behavior now that they have predators. So that's why. Um, because a predator will always attack usually from the back. You ever watch TV when a, a wolf or a tiger comes up from the back and tries to hamstring them or, yeah. you know? So they can quicker detect danger with the wind than they can seeing them. Cause right. If a cougar or a coyote or something is hiding in the brush, they might not see them, but they can smell them. Yeah, and predators attack from the back. That's why a lot of these guys that hunt or professional hunters have hunted for years in the mountains or where there are predators. Say, don't be surprised if you see a big buck going with the wind. Oh yeah, he's not stupid. He's seeing what's in front of him and smelling what's behind him. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of that is yeah learned behavior where they've learned that. Hey, I don't need the smell wasn't from me because I can I can see it. It's open right. in front of me. That's or the, if it's really thick cover, they might go you know with the wind in their face because they don't they can't see what's in front of them, and they know what's behind them is safe because they've crossed it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But that's that's yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure every animal's different. I mean, there's some bucks that'll probably be like, nope, I'm not going that way because I can't smell that direction. Right. And they just will. They'll go another go direction. Yeah, right. Or they'll be like, oh no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm sure it depends a lot, but a lot on the buck itself or the deer itself. That, right. They're just they have their own personalities, like people do. They're all a little bit different. Yeah. Yep. And we just gotta get our deer figured out. <laughs> yeah. Well, we. We've come a long way into figuring out the big box. Uh-huh. You just got to be there when they're there because they're there. Oh, that was so heartbreaking when I went through that camera and saw that that deer cross. He would have went into the field. I would have seen him if I had stayed in my stand. I know. What is this, the third time now that uh-huh. a few years ago that big buck was down the, with the snow on the ground and those yep. does come out? And, yep, 25 uh, yards from my blind. Yep, 25. At 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, and what, five minutes later or three minutes later, here comes the bu- big buck right behind him. Mm-hmm. That was just before, again, the same time period just before rifle season. Yep. The, the one over on the east side, you know? Yep. That big buck. Yep. What? Showed up on the scrape, and yep. it was, oh, he actually hit two of them. Middle of the day, like 10 a.m. Yeah. That's a, hit the scrape. That's that's a nemesis of working uh, a side job when you're a hunter because yep. sometimes it takes years. That one guy that shot that big buck earlier this year, he'd been what chasing that buck for for three years, and finally he was there when the buck made a mistake and killed that big non-typical. Yep. They say it might be the biggest one killed in Michigan, new non-typical record. Yep. So it's yeah. it's a it's a game. Yep. So. Yep. But yeah, and I mean, I don't know what the the state land's gonna look like now. Now with the orange army had left their mark, so that's always interesting too. Yeah. But yeah, so we're gonna be hitting the bluffs and doing that run. Hopefully, there's a buck in there. Yeah, and hopefully, when the buck comes out. Yeah. Someone gets a shot and puts a shot on them and yeah, gets them. Down. Yeah. But that's always tough, though, because, yeah, they're, it's, it's bang, bang type of deal where you see them, you got to hurry up, identify it, it make the shot. It's <laughs> pretty hard to hit a running deer. Oh. Unless you practice a lot on moving targets, you know. Like you say, you got to identify it's a legal buck. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you get tough yeah i mean you're gonna see what happens pushing Corey's property too because i mean they get daytime pictures of bucks all the time so i'm 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 confident that he's got those bucks are betting on his property in those pines oh yeah just how just how often they show up during daylight right they're they're in there so the the key will be uh if we can get them to go the direction we want them and so i'm eager to see what happens with that yeah, it's but we'll see. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, man, it's hard to hit a running buck. Yep. Unless you're quite the marksman and have lots of practice. Remember years ago, I did some pushing for some friends of ours, and one weekend I pushed out eight different bucks and nobody <laughs> here. Yeah. Ugh. I just turn around, go back in there, and drive it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go over here, but it's it's tough. Yep. Yeah. 
Yes, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else you think we need to cover? We uh, covered. We covered a lot, at least this time. Yeah, we covered quite a bit. We we know we have to work on cover for the big bucks on the farm. We we figured out. I think that historically the big bucks show up just before rifle season and. <laughs> We just got to spend more time the week before rifle season there whenever we can because, like, the other, that big buck, it was plenty of daylight. Mm -hmm. We just didn't stop. Yeah. He got all excited about those little doe fawns. And when he realized they weren't in estrus, he just kind of walked around, ate some clover. It was too bad that he didn't want to go visit the scrape. Yeah. I thought he was going to at the last minute. He kind of walked that way, but he turned and walked across the neighbor's property, and he was gone. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if you're going to show that picture on your podcast or not, but yeah, he was, was a different. He was a pretty good buck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for for the area, he was a giant six pointer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean you could. Yeah, technically, he's a seven. Probably, if you measure out that brow tine, it's probably an inch. And yeah, but. I would call him a, even though I still call him a six because it's pretty small brow tine. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I'm ate up with deer hunting. Even, even after going after mule deer this year, it's like, yeah, they're fun, but they're not whitetail. No. There's no. something about whitetail I just can't get, can't get past. Right. Whitetail is the, slyest critter and there is you know they just for the amount especially in michigan for the amount of pressure that they get they've got you know really smart that's why those big bucks that are three four five years old six years old you know they're tough because they don't make a mistake they don't make a mistake man very very rarely when they do if you're not there to you know, capitalize. Yeah, if you're not there when they make the mistake, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we've been running into the past few years, where we they're there during that time frame. If we're not there, that's that was the opportunity. Yep, that was the that was one. Yep. Um, you only get one or two shots, like you say, at at them making a mistake. So. Yep. But yeah, that's that's why it's so much fun. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's why, and I got about another year of work, and I'm going to retire, so I'll I'll be concentrating more time at the farm at that time of year. Yep, yep. Just camp out there. Camp out there. Yeah, <laughs> just be there. Yeah, yeah. One of these days, we'll get one of those big boys for sure. Oh yeah, you know it. Yeah. Especially too, if we keep making progress on the farm, like you said, those yeah. chances those odds of encountering them more often will go up and right because i know we'll i'll talk about it with Dwayne uh what about the south dakota hunt but it came down to we're, we're trying to narrow down the areas that had you know the most likely highest concentration of deer just to increase your odds of potentially you know coming across them and we started out we made a lot of mistakes early on but eventually we I think if we would have stuck it out even longer, we probably could have figured it out. 
but we were running into a time crunch, so we... Yeah, that's the thing. You only have so much time. Yeah. But I think he's planning on going out next year, and, I mean, how much we mapped down the areas we covered, we've got a pretty good grasp of the area now. So there's still a couple areas that we haven't got, we didn't go, um, and then some areas probably should have a local person with us because you get into some of that um, ranch country and you need to know where those lines are, where you can be and where you can't be. And right. But that, and you can, you can get in some of those areas where it looks like it's really easy going and you can get in a pretty gnarly spot pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Johnson and a partner he goes to Canada with his, his partner, Phil, I think it's Phil, uh, his buck, uh, 250 pounds. Yeah. Bob's was 240, I think. And that's stressed out? Yeah. Jeez. Basically moose up there. Yeah, the, you know, they got a genetics demand that when you're up there in the soul country, you got to be big and strong. Mm-hmm. Genetics is developed just like, you know, down in South Dakota, those even the white tail are a lot smaller than ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that two-year-old mule deer, he's forty pounds lighter than the white tail. That's two-year-olds old. Yeah, at least I'm pretty sure that mule deer was two. I gotta still check his teeth, but yeah. pretty sure it was two. Yeah, it's crazy how yeah, there's the size difference. Yeah, just genetics, and that's the way it is. Genetics and the environment they live. Like, yeah, that's why those coos deer or cows deer down in Mexico, they're smaller yet. Yeah. Key deer down in Florida. Yeah. Black tails. They're all smaller species. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think we got a good plan going forward. I mean, there's still season left, but, I mean, things are, I mean, we know that they've been pressured. They're not going to make the mistake of coming out in daylight unless it's, Unless they have to, absolutely have to, and that's usually weather-driven. Yeah, I mean, it it could happen. There's still a chance a decent buck, but as far as those big bucks coming yeah. out in the daylight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it can always happen, but a lot of times, too, like you can't just be there whenever, so you always got to try to pinpoint the most likely scenario. So, right. like if, like I said, if we get single-digit temps, then they're going to, they're going to be more likely to go to the food, be at the food plot on those times. But, like, right now we got 40-degree weather slotted, so they don't have any big reason to have to get up and move around uh, now. Uh, now we do have the, uh, the the secondary rut coming up, and we do have a few fawns on the farm, so they may... They may uh, go into estrus, yeah. They may go into estrus yet, you know, in the next week and a half or two weeks or so, and... Those bucks may key in on that, so they may make they might make a mistake with that. But again, it's not guaranteed, so we'll have to see. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see how the drive goes, and yeah. Uh, but as a farm, we should uh, where we're planning to improve uh, bedding area. Let's put up some cameras mm-hmm. and see if the bucks will come in and bed down. Because I don't think that buck, that I, that big six point, seven point, whatever you want to call it, I don't think he came very far. I think he was laying over there on the west side. He could be, yeah. I don't think he came very far. No, because, and basically, you know, he was out there early enough that he, yeah, he wouldn't have been far unless he was, unless he was just really 
anxious and was moving around early. But yeah, I think, which I mean, I've got sign of, you know, some birds and bucks probably were bedding on the farm, but it's probably, they're just not consistently bedding there. They Right. I think he was bedding there during the rut area. Mm-hmm. And then I think he slipped back down into the swamp. Yeah. Cause that was definitely, yeah. Yep. We'll see. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's about a wrap on this because we covered everything that I was hoping to cover and get caught up on. Cause like I said, I still got to do a sit down with Dwayne and do a follow up of or wrap up of our trip. And right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you killed a couple bucks this year. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird having this is a pretty good year i mean two does i've killed and two bucks and i still got one tag left so yeah might get another one yet never know yeah right there's always that little bit yeah you're joking on the way back home from the trip like Dwayne's like well you gonna go hunting as soon as we get home like well i'd like to but i don't know kim's not gonna be a fan of that so (laughs) i give it a couple days gotta be home a couple days before i start getting the itch again to try to go out especially because we got all that snow and like oh man because i've talked about wanting to go do you know tracking and whatnot and it's like oh like we got all that snow and we we had a very little snow out west yeah i've seen that from from the pictures yeah it was only in a few of the few areas where they actually had snow that was you know inch deep and everywhere else it was of course it's so dry there and i mean we had sunny skies every day yeah <laughs> It reminds me of a story. A friend of mine was in Canada hunting with his uncles and his dad. And his uncle had shot a buck. And they went to track it. And he said, well, I don't need my gun. Hmm. deer. So he was, they were tracking this deer. And he was over here. And they were over there, you know, trying to find. And he looks up. And here's this big non-typical staring at him. I mean, he said he was a huge non-typical. It was cold, and you could see the hot air coming out of his nostrils, and he was just standing there staring at Norm. Norm didn't have his gun. <laughs> Two days later, his uncle shot it. <laughs> so you never know when a big buck will get up in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, that's why half the time when I'm leaving, like especially out in state land, I'll I'll leave it. I'll leave my rest or my uh, release on. And especially if I know it's a really good area, I'll leave an arrow knocked and I'll walk walk back to the truck with the arrow yeah. ready to go. Yeah. Because, yeah, this happened where I've crossed the path of deer walking walking out. And, like, they'll stand there and stare at you like they know you don't have a gun or you don't have an arrow knocked. And you're going, oh, if I only hit an arrow or if I have my gun. Yep. And they just kind of bound away. Yep. So... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Always, always be ready. Always be ready. <laughs> you're in the deer woods during deer season, always be ready. Yeah. Well, even that, like how many times, like, we're, even for like the drives, we'll be standing by the vehicles and see deer running around us. Yeah, it's like, oh, there goes deer over there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I figured I'd have my fill of it this year by how much I hunted, but few more days uh, well even that i got a friend that uh he's been on the podcast he does the urban hunting so like, yeah you should come down in january and do the urban hunt like all right i might have to do that yeah that'd be cool so i might take him up on that offer go down there and 
hopefully hunt with him and check out a new area and new style of hunting for sure. Yeah, so. definitely a new style of hunting. Yep. All right. Let's wrap this one up because right. we got to get things together for for the big meal. Yeah. All you people out there and hunting land, good luck. Be uh, careful. That's right. <laughs> All right. All right, so that's a wrap on this episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation uh, of me and my dad uh, basically kind of doing our breakdown of how the rut went for us, uh, primarily on our private private ground that we hunt. You know, again, a lot of it comes down to, you know, basically trying to gather as much data as you can, learn as much as you can about your property, about what the deer is, uh, you know, activity is, learn the personalities of the individual uh, deer on your property, and trying to come up with a plan for the next year to try to capitalize or improve your odds of catching up with one of those mature bucks. Now, the other thing I wanted to touch base on too is that we did end up doing, uh, towards the end of the month, uh, we basically do a big drive. Um, we try to do it every year, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, we basically you know, go out and just kind of do a traditional deer drive. Uh, this year, again, is kind of tough where we you know, in years past, we had a good number of people to come with us. And as the years progress, we're getting fewer and fewer people that are able to make it. Uh, so it is making it harder to be able to, uh, you know, basically do a proper drive and not let these deer slip out on some of these hills that we were trying to push. So again, there's another thing that we do that, you know, trying to, uh, you know, close out the season by doing a big push. So in regards to that, you know, I am going to be doing some additional scouting in some of those areas that we do like to uh, do our deer drives on to try to figure those areas out a little bit better, figure out how these deer are slipping out um, and, and getting away from away from the pushers and, you know, kind of skirting around to people that are sitting waiting for the deer to come out. So, you know, ultimately, even something like that where, you know, as simple as a deer drive, you know, sometimes you can learn a little bit extra to make your odds a little bit better to capitalize on even a hunt like that. <clears throat> but again, that's, you know, that's kind of come and gone. You know, the standard firearm season is over. It's muzzleloader season right now, uh, which, you know, I've been able to get out uh, a couple times, sat down at the farm one more time. Uh, basically, you know, we had some warm temperatures. I was really hoping for some, you know, you know, teens or even single digit temperatures during this muzzleloader season knowing that those really cold temperatures would force the deer to get up on their feet and head to food but that wasn't the case so the next thing on my agenda is try to uh, hopefully get some fresh snow again and go out and try to do some tracking and try to track down a buck with the muzzleloader season there's only about another week left of that season so <clears throat> I'm hoping we get some fresh snow in a time frame that I can get out there and go basically try to cut a track and see what I can come up with. You know, that's one of the main goals I had for this season to try to uh, improve my skills in that aspect. And then after that, it comes down to, again, you know, dusting off the bow again and going out and trying to do some late season archery again. You know, basically, <clears throat> I'm you know, this is more so trying to learn to be able to hunt mature bucks again in the late season. You know, I can, of course, have my food plot down at the farm. 
I think I'm going to try to focus a little bit more on going back to state land and trying to figure that out uh, during the late season. I know usually a good thing that I focus on is the red oaks, but most of the red oaks in the area that at least I usually hunt around, uh, they really didn't produce many acorns this year. So uh, I might have to do some additional scouting, try to find some other food sources um, outside of the acorns so I can try to focus on uh, for this late season. And then of course if the deer hunting starts getting really slow or I'm not getting the condition I like, of course there's always still small game small game hunt I can do while I do some additional scouting as well. Some I always try to do, uh, especially when it comes down to the end of the season or even after season. Just going out there with a 22, walk around scouting and capitalize on a small game that I can. And that's it for this episode. Again, got to rambling a little bit again. so. So we'll close this one out and as always get out there, be safe and have fun.